Got a chance of showers and thunderstorms between 8 p.m. and midnight, mostly cloudy, low 66. PJ's Roofing, when it comes to your roof, they have got you covered. Visit pjsroofing.com. I'm Jim Tice. This is the Faith Debate, a theological roundtable gab fest, a free-for-all forum with faith community leaders wrestling over the truth. In less than one half hour, learn more about what really matters than what most others learn in a week. The Faith Debate is on the World Wide Web at WFMD.com, keyword faith. Are you ready for the clash of ideas? Are you ready for the sound of freedom? Let's get ready to rumble in this corner, weighing in with the Master of Divinity from Reformed Theological Seminary, the Faith Debate Master of Ceremonies, (laughs) Troy Skinner. Well, we're diving into the deep end of the water, diving into the deep end of the pool today, because what has been dominating culture of late, intersectionality, critical race theory, Black Lives Matter, White privilege, white fragility, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, what are we to make of all of it? Well, we tackled that question at the the church that I lead, the Household of Faith in Christ. And uh, we had a group discussion about it and a a lesson on it, a kind of a biblical lesson on it. And so we're going to share that with you on the faith debate here today because we're still in the lockdown uh, editions of the faith debate until all the restrictions, at least as we're recording this, restrictions are still in place. Uh, So once all the restrictions are are, uh, you know, we get the all clear and the go ahead. Uh, we're, we're doing this sort of programming instead, but I think it's right on point with what's going on. So I think you're going to hopefully uh, benefit from it and enjoy what you have to hear. So there's there's a lot to be said, and I'm pretty sure this is going to last more than just this week, but we'll get a good chunk of the issue covered uh, this week, and then maybe we'll cover uh, some more um, next week. And we'll see if we can wrap it up in two weeks. And if we need a third week, we'll take a third week. It's a big issue. It's a, it's a, it's a dominant issue uh, for our world uh, in this generation. There's no doubt about that. And so, uh, again, this is a group discussion held by the Household of Faith in Christ. Uh, so it was it was recorded in a living room. So the, the audio quality isn't exactly studio quality, but, you know, it's certainly not bad. And so I hope you enjoy it. Mm -hmm. All right, so the Apostle Paul, he warns us in his letter to the Colossians, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. That's Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. There is a lot of dialogue going on right now. Have you noticed about black and white relations. Is this conversation that we all are seeming to have now, is it being driven by human tradition and by the elemental spirits of the world, or is it being driven by the scriptures and the spirit of God according to Christ? That is the question that Christians, Bible-believing, biblically faithful Christians, need to be asking about everything, particularly something as important as what's happening in our society and our culture right now. So a quick way to try to encapsulate this as uh, as briefly as possible is for me to take thoughts that I've already kind of edited down for a Facebook post and just share them. It's going to take me a minute or two to read this. What's happening now is different. There's been a worldwide philosophical worldview shift of titanic proportions and it's happened so fast that our common discourse has failed to keep up. 
The terms of not so long ago were focused on distinguishing between classical liberalism and the modern left, Marxism, socialism, communism, progressivism, feminism. During our lifetimes, we added to our lexicon radical feminism, liberation theology, neo-Marxism, climate change activism, identity politics, political correctness, LGBTQ plus rights, and social justice. And then seemingly, Overnight, the world is on fire, and disorder is the order of the day. What happened? Postmodernism and cultural Marxism happened. This historic philosophical worldview shift has been going mostly unnoticed by most of us in recent years. This shift has been a decades-long slip and slide that has now turned into a full-on avalanche. Certain members of the left have become increasingly radicalized with little opposition from others on the mainstream left, perhaps because many high-profile lefties were busy only examining the radicalized right, such as skinheads, white supremacists, the alt-right, neo-fascists, etc. To help illustrate that what's going on now is not your grandfather's traditionalist progressivist debate, Here's an article by a self-professed member of the old school left, and then I provided a link, which I will put in the comments section of the Facebook post either later tonight or sometime tomorrow. Now, either, now, whether all the people on the right and the left realize it or not, everyone who is not a radical, everyone who believes that there is material reality and objective truth, everyone, even among the wild radicals themselves in an odd twist, has a common enemy. We will do well to recognize and understand the movement of the new left, which has emerged from the activist left that is currently running roughshod over society. You've surely or possibly heard of wokeness, cancel culture, language policing, deplatforming, and being on the right side of history, perhaps only recently coming to grips with what they mean. Well, have you heard of collectivism, critical theory, critical race theory, radical liberationist activism, post-structuralist theory, and intersexual, intersectionalism. Look them up. Don't let the dog eat your homework on this one. It feels nearly impossible to keep pace with the rapidity of forming factions and their labels. Maintaining a firm grasp is immensely challenging because postmodernists embrace subjectivism and proudly reject reason and rationality. For them, words have no real meaning. The meaning doesn't merely change over time, but interpretations holding to absolutely opposite understandings can both be equally valid. So helpful debate, fruitful communication, and the defining of agreed upon terms is essentially impossible. The reality is that postmodernism is an unlivable philosophy. And yet in real time, we're watching people attempt to live it in cities all across the nation and the world. As seen on news reports, this worldview is unsustainable when placed into practice. And so it will burn itself out. A legitimate concern is that in the process of burning itself out, it will burn everything else down. As the solution 
The Christian church is called to stand in unabashed boldness at this time, announcing the fullness of the biblical gospel to a world in desperate need of hearing the truth. Will it, will the church answer its call, or will it, as the majority of professing uh, churchgoers have done until now, continue to let Christ's message go to voicemail? In the end, we know from Scripture that there is always a faithful remnant of believers. One can't help but wonder how large or small is this remnant. So I threw out a bunch of terms there, and I was encouraging you to not let the dog eat your homework and to learn what these terms mean. I'm going to help to get you started along those lines by defining some of those terms so that they'll begin to mean something to you. Even if the terms don't stick, when you're watching the news, reading the news, paying attention to what people around you are saying, maybe what your pastors are preaching from the pulpit, God forbid, uh, you're going to maybe pick up on some things. So wait a minute, I forget what label goes to that, but I remember we were talking about that on Facebook Live just the other day. Postmodernism, what is that? Postmodernism is a departure from modernism. It's part of our everyday vernacular, right? With uh, It's modern design, modern style. It's the modern way of doing things. Well, what do we mean by that? Typically, it's shorthand for the here and the now. And we've been able to get away with using that kind of shorthand because our entire lives up until now have been lived in what's called the modern era. But we've now transitioned from the modern era into postmodern. So we can't say what it's like to live in modern times. We don't live in modern times right now. We're living in postmodern modern times. Postmodernism departs from modernism um, and it has at its heart a general distrust, postmodernism does, of all that came before it. They don't trust anything. Nothing is really real. Nothing is really true. You can't trust that it is anyway. So to help you understand the framework of, and put this in a broader context, so you understand what I'm meaning by these, these transitions and worldview shifts through ages. Uh, over the past 500 years or so of history, and these are terms and phrases and, and uh, labels that hopefully you're a little bit familiar with. Uh, the Enlightenment, I imagine you've heard of the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment of the 17th century. What, what was the defining characteristic of the Enlightenment? The Enlightenment sought truth through reason, through intellect. That was followed by Romanticism. Romanticism, primarily the 18th century, it sought truth through feelings and, and emotion. And then that was followed by realism in the 19th century. And the idea there was to seek truth in nature. And realism was followed by modernism, the modern age of the 20th century, which sought truth through advances in technology and quote-unquote science. And now we have postmodernism here in the 21st century, and it says there is no truth. So all the ages leading up to this were seeking truth, I would say in inadequate ways, because the truth is found from God himself revealed to us in his word, the truth. And so that's where the ultimate foundational truth is found, but at least the Enlightenment and Romanticism and, and the realists and the modernists, at least they all agreed that there was some sort of truth to be found. They were trying to find it maybe without God in a lot of cases, but at least they were trying to find the truth. And the postmodernists don't trust any. They throw it all away and say, there is no truth. 
The closest thing we can get to truth is that what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me. However, what's true for me at this moment might change tomorrow, might change in the very next instant. Today I might identify as this, but tomorrow I'm going to identify as that, and they're going to be polar opposites, and yet somehow they're both temporarily in some sort of squishy way true, but not really true because I own self-perceptions about those things. You can see why it's unsustainable. You can't live your life that way. It will not last. It cannot sustain. But again, as it burns itself out, how much is going to get burned down? So another uh, phrase that I use, cultural Marxism. What is that? This is a spin on classical Marxism. Karl Marx, 1800s, famously, you know, advanced socialist communist ideas, right? And it was basically an economic theory. And now this economic theory has been applied to all aspects of culture and society. So it's not just economics, it's everything in the world is seen through this Marxist lens. And this, this new cultural Marxism, it pits identity groups, sorts of phrases before, it pits these identity groups against each other. And in the process of creating these identity groups, it creates bondage for individuals to the collective. And so Angela isn't a black woman, she's part of the oppressed black community group. I'm not a white man of European descent, I am a, I am a Caucasian, I'm a, I'm a part of the Caucasian oppressor class. And no matter what I do, no matter what Angela does, we can't separate from the collective group. And our collective groups? My group and Angela's group, according to this system, must go to battle with one another because one is an oppressor and one is the oppressed. And what's the oppressed supposed to do against the oppressor but try to fight back? And what's the oppressed supposed to do but try to hold them down? And so there's no way to escape. We become prisoners of the collectives in collectivism. Critical theory. What is this? Critical theory is an offshoot that's rooted in the thought of Karl Marx and Sigmund Freud. It takes Freud and Marx and kind of blends them together. And adherents of critical theory maintain that our primary goal is to understand and to help overcome the social structures and systems through which people are dominated and oppressed. Does this ring a bell? The structures and systems, systemic racism, for example. This is rooted in critical theory. Now, what is critical race theory? Well, that's a subdivision of critical theory. It's a view that the law and the legal institutions are inherently, quote unquote, racist. And that race itself, instead of being biologically grounded and natural, these ethnic groups, they're not based in biology. They're all social constructs. They are socially constructed concepts that have been invented by and are used by white people to further the white person's economic and political interests at the expense of black and brown people. And so the social, the economic, the legal systems are created by whites, particularly older white men, to maintain elite white advantages in the economy and in politics, and thus blacks according to this critical race theory view of the world, blacks are trapped forever in poverty and criminality unless the oppressors, the whites, can be somehow toppled from power. And then you have radical liberationist activism, which I mentioned. What is that? Radical liberation, 
activists believe that we should end all wars and we should disarm all militaries and we should eliminate all nuclear weapons and if we do so we will we will end up bringing about a racial equality and international cooperation and economic progress and they shout about the end of imperialism and colonialism and the eradication of capitalism and the death of the United States as the world's police force. You've heard about all these ideas and teachings in the news, I'm sure, for years now. What was it? It was radical liberationist activism at play. It's kind of like a Star Trek universe future, right? Where the, the, the Federation and Star Trek and the Earthlings and Star Trek, yeah, they're doing battle with a bunch of aliens out there, but as far as Earth itself is concerned, everybody on Earth gets along. There's world peace. There's no need for any sort of weapons. There's no need for money. They never pay for anything in Star Trek. Everything's free. And that's the ideal that the radical liberationists, these activists, have in mind. I'll just give you a couple more. I could go on. There's probably a dozen maybe a dozen and a half labels. Let's give it two more that will help provide the framework and structure of what's happening in our world today. Post-structuralist theory. You might not know what it is, but as soon as I define it, you will recognize that you've been exposed to it. Post-structuralist theory holds that language is not a transparent medium. In other words, language doesn't directly connect with truth or with reality. So what this means is everything is subjective. When I write or you write or I speak or you speak, the intent of our words, the words themselves, that's not what matters. And since the intent of the words doesn't, isn't what really matters, everyone can then twist or reapply those words that we use to mean whatever the other person wants them to mean. And that's not even the worst of it because what's at what's said or what's written actually isn't what's necessarily most important, but rather what's, what's most important is what isn't said. And this is why you can run into a situation where somebody says, boy, I love bananas. And somebody says accusingly, well, why do you hate apples? You say, well, I didn't say anything about apples. Exactly. If you loved apples, you would have mentioned them along with the bananas. But obviously, you're an apple hater. I didn't say anything like that. Ah, you can't fool me. They twist it. Or they're gonna change it and say, ah, by bananas, you really mean this. And so what you're saying is that, and you've got a prejudice and a bias. They take your words, it feels like out of context. They change the meanings, the definitions of words on you. And you're like, this makes no sense. You're being mean. No, they're not meaning to be mean. They are applying their post-structuralist theory. Whether or not they've studied about post-structuralist post theory and are trying to purposely apply it or not is not the point. We've been immersed in these things, particularly those that have gone to college. This is what the colleges are teaching. They might not be telling their students, we're going to spend this semester ingraining into you post-structuralist theory. It's not usually as overt as that. It happens through osmosis by accident. This is the air that gets breathed. And after a while, you don't even know you're breathing it anymore. One more, intersectionalism or intersectionality. This highlights the overlap of social categories. Remember we were talking about those groups, how everything gets subdivided into these groups, and it's not about the individual, it's about the group that one belongs to. And it focuses on the disadvantages that these oppressed groups have uh, by virtue of what's called their minority status. But really, minority is a misnomer because women are considered to be minorities and have this, this classification, even though they're the majority. So it's not about numbers, raw numbers, it's about whether you're oppressed or not. And if you're an oppressed group, you're in the minority. 
uh, according to these kinds of things. So they, it takes these minorities categorized by race and categorized by, by class, you know, uh, economic class, uh, sexual identity, uh, what they call gender, uh, professed gender identity, those sorts of things. And the more overlapping the groups to which one belongs, the more uh, that person or group is affected by the systems of discrimination and oppression that we talked about like five minutes ago. So, me as a adult male Caucasian of Northern European descent, I don't have any disadvantage. I have all the advantages. I cannot be, by definition, I can't be oppressed. But if I were black, I'd have that group. If I were a homosexual black, I'd be doubly oppressed. Or that group that identifies as, so if somebody identifies as a black, lesbian, transgender woman, they are, that group is quadruply oppressed. And so we need to feel really sorry for them and the systems need to somehow make amends for the quadruple oppression that those intersections, that intersectionality is experiencing. It's not about individuals. It's not that the individual uh, black, lesbian, transgender woman, not, it's not what that person individually is going through. I mean, they'll use those anecdotal stories to prove their point, but it's not about the individual, it's about the group. It's like a class warfare idea, okay? <clears throat> so, I would imagine that some of what I've just said, the, the labels and the academic nature of this might not be quite hitting many of you, but I would imagine it's ringing a few bells like, yeah, I didn't know what to call it before, but yeah, I've, I've seen that happen. I've, I've, wa I've witnessed it. I've watched people have these discussions, interact with me this way on social media, or the newscasters portray things a particular way. It should be ringing some bells, I would think. And we're going to pause there at our look at the biblical understanding of quote-unquote race. And I say quote-unquote race, uh, part of you can tell from the context of what you've been listening to. Yeah, According to the Scripture, the, the best way to think about this is that there is one human race created by God in his image. And then if you want to look at it outside of the natural, look at it from a supernatural perspective, well, there are those who are born again, according to the Christian teaching, they are born again into a, a new race, if you will, a, a, a Christian race that uh, have a citizenship that is in heaven, it's like a dual citizenship all of a sudden. And so you could say that there's a natural and a and an uh, extra natural um, uh, race at play, according to biblical teaching, uh, but we don't want to, uh, in the natural, talk about, from a biblical perspective, about there being a multitude of races, particularly if you want to place those the emphasis of those races on skin color. We want to talk about ethnic groups and geographic uh, heritage and cultural uh, practices and those sorts of things. You know, if we want to be very careful about defining our terms, that might be okay biblically. But we, I think given today's culture and climate, uh, race means something very specific uh, to the world around us. And I think we should be careful about how we enter into those dialogues and define our terms. Anyway, we're going to pick up with this conversation next week. And probably the week after that, there's at least a couple, maybe two, three more weeks on this issue because it's a big, gigantic issue. So much uh, that's already been said and so much more that needs to be said. You can follow us on Facebook. You can follow me personally on Facebook. I'm also on Gab, MeWe, and Parlor. And I have a website now, Household of Faith in Christ, householdoffaithinchrist.com. 
and, and there you're going to find all sorts of information about me and the church that I lead. And it's a house church. So if you are looking for a non-traditional kind of a situation, you know, not the big building, traditional sort of setup, and you're curious, what's a house church and what's that all about? Or you know what it is and you want to get involved with them, you know, let's have a conversation. Uh, it's worth having the conversation, perhaps. Just reach out to me on social media. It might be the best way to do that. Go to WFMD.com. Find the Faith, uh, Faith Debate page there. And you can see what's coming up next week and what's been on in recent weeks. You can link to all the podcasts and that sort of thing. So thanks again for listening. Till next week, 167 and a half hours from right now. God bless.